everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. I would love for you guys to grab a Bible. If you didn't bring one, there are some in the back. There are pens in most of the chairs. We'll be opening up to 1 Peter chapter 5. So we actually sort of completed our series in 1 Peter last week, but we're going to go back because our new series is tracking with this book, Live No Lies, uh, recognizing and resisting the three enemies that sabotage your peace, the devil, the flesh, and the world, and the first week is on the devil. But as you open up and turn there, I just want to share a couple things I'm excited about that God is doing among us. So we've been the last few weeks having some extended like ministry times where we have been praying for each other. And I had a family say, you know, we were watching via the live stream. And when you paused uh, for the ministry time, like when, you know, during the prayer time, we actually prayed with each other and for each other in a way like uh, they hadn't remembered doing in a long, long time. So it's cool to hear uh, what's happening, not only in this room, but uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing in homes, across screens. And so I want to celebrate that. The other thing is, after the service last week, someone uh, shared with me a vision that they had. And so this is just one example of the way that God can put like words or thoughts or pictures on our minds. So I know he's doing it for other people too. But this this person during like the worship and prayer time had a had a vision of a light coming from above and then beams of light like reflecting between us in this intricate amazing beautiful pattern and so i just want to remind you that you are interwoven like a beautiful tapestry and you affect one another and the light of god is shining on you even if you don't perceive it and so be encouraged and stay close to jesus so let's pray, and then we'll read from First Peter. Uh, Jesus, first of all, we celebrate your victory over death and sin, and we ask that you would have mercy on our world, that you would bring, bring peace where there is war, where you would bring, that you would bring hope where there is despair, and in particular, the, the church and orphanage that is uh, caring for those kids that we just saw. Sustain the efforts of the caregivers, strengthen them, support them, um, and bless the children. We pray that, like, if it might be that many of them would be returned to their parents someday, um, and if not, that they would find you and find rest and find care. And so, Jesus, we also want to ask you to be our teacher today as we read from your word uh, and as we talk about the devil in particular, we need your protection. Uh, expose the lies that we believe. Protect us from any evil force that would want to destroy or distract or deceive. And so, God, in the words of First Peter, we... We rest in your grace and in your power. We trust that you will restore, support, strengthen, and establish us today. 
Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. And if you were here last week, or if maybe you grabbed a Bible that someone wrote in, uh, when it says in his kindness there in verse 10, the, the literal Greek is actually saying God of all grace. So we're, so we're reminded of God's grace here in verse 10. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. <clears throat> so we'll return to that passage, but the first thing <clears throat> I want to shed some light on is that the picture that we have, that most of us have, of Satan or of the devil is mostly drawn by Hollywood. It's from the movies we've watched, the TV shows we've seen, Maybe, maybe you're watching Stranger Things right now. Uh, if not from Hollywood, the picture we have of the devil often comes from like medieval art that was meant to literally scare the hell out of people. So I think it was a little misguided that the church thought that inspiring fear of the devil would, turn, would like somehow translate into love for God. But uh, the reality is, is that in order to try to keep people in church, they, they would often depict Satan in these like horrific, uh, grotesque images. So if you're thinking like little red guy with horns or like scary, uh, I don't know how to describe, you know, like alien looking creature, most of those images are not biblical. We'll look at the biblical images here in a second. They're more, they're more imaginary. So the, the earliest Christian picture that we have of Satan, by that I mean like a drawing or, or an image, uh, I'm going to put up on the screen. Which one is he? What do you think? When I, I looked this up and I said, I don't, I don't see Satan in this picture. Do you, do you see him? Don't get it wrong, because if you get it wrong, you might be thinking it's Jesus. So Jesus is in the center. Okay, so that leaves two. You think it's the blue or the red? One, on one, two, three, say blue or red. One, two, three. Okay, I want to show you that if you look closely, the red guy's standing in front of some sheep and the blue guy's standing in front of some goats. So it's actually Satan on the, my right, your right. Uh, and so, I mean, here we have an early picture of Satan de depicted in the final judgment as, you know, like according to the parable of the dividing of the sheep and the goats. And so, what we, what we think of Satan maybe doesn't match the early church's picture of Satan, but uh, symbolically and metaphorically, we, we do have here in 1 Peter, for instance, Satan being described as a roaring lion. But I want to kind of sketch out what we're going to do today, what we're going to do the next four weeks before we get into it. So t with, uh, with the three enemies, the, the devil, 
the world and the flesh, which basically surmise these, the three parts in this book. We'll be adding a fourth. So after we go through this book, we'll do a week on basically spiritual warfare. Because I think if John Mark Comer is light on anything, it's the like power encounter, demonic, uh, I won't say, we'll call it oppression. So like somehow, some way, demons kind of tempt us lie to us, sometimes in rare cases overpower people, but I don't, I don't want to get too deep into that today, but we'll talk about it just a little bit. But with each of those subjects, we're going to present the positive uh, doctrine or belief, not just the negative. So we don't only want to stay focused on the devil, the world, and the flesh. We want to actually look at like God's answer to these things. So this week, we're going to briefly talk about Christus Victor, which is a fancy way of saying Jesus is victorious. Jesus has defeated Satan. And then we're going to do, a, will call it a spiritual discipline. We're going to actually renounce the devil <laughs> at the end. I was hoping that that would be something we would do later. In my mind, it would go the world, the flesh, and the devil, but Comer makes the devil go first. I don't know why, but... Uh, I'd, I'd rather build toward renouncing the devil, but we're going to do it on the front end. Uh, so like we've been doing moments of silence or times of silence after reading the scripture during our last series, we have three unique spiritual disciplines that we'll do. So next week will be, is it the flesh, right? Can we go to the next slide, please? Yeah, there we go. The flesh. Then like we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the power of the spirit, and then we're going to confess our sins and actually take communion together. Uh, the third week, as we talk about the world, it's God's kingdom that actually like, overcomes the world. Uh, and by world, I don't mean culture exactly. I mean, well, we'll talk about it. And then we'll, do, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. So let's see here. There's, there's like a lot I, I want to go over. And I think maybe I should just reread part of First uh, Peter 5 here to keep us rooted. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So let me ask you this, <clears throat> what makes a lion dangerous? Well, teeth, yes, trying to devour claws. I figured someone would say that, that, that doesn't really serve my illustration today, but good. that's true. I suppose he uses his claws and then he, but then he puts you know, to put you in his mouth. Or, I mean, if you're a gazelle or something, that's what he's trying to do. Um, what else? It, it's uh, described here in First Peter, uh, well, as a, as a lion that prowls. So we have a picture of a lion here. One of the things that makes a lion dangerous is you can't see him until he's on top of you. So lions are sneaky. And that is, I think, one of Satan's great um, tactics is to stay hidden. So most, well, really, I think all of his lies are hidden in truth. Uh, we, in like our normal day-to-day, -day, are very, like we're barely aware that Satan is even out there prowling around. Now, uh, let me just read this quote from C.S. Lewis. There's another danger too, and C.S. Lewis talks about it. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. 
One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So there's kind of like two ditches that you can fall into. And in both cases, Satan wins. He either, uh, well, in the words of Stranger Things, this is from the current season. I'm not actually watching it yet. I haven't decided if I'm going to keep with it, but someone shared this with me. Let's go to the Stranger Things. How do you expect to stop the devil if you don't believe he's real? On the one hand. uh, And on the other hand, like Satan wins if every time the wind blows and the grass moves, you're like, ah, there's a, there's a devil. There's a, you know, Satan's making me do it. You know, there, every bad thing that happens, you might be saying, well, it's, it's Satan out there. And, And that's, kind of the opposite thing. And then you're so preoccupied and you live in such fear that he's one on the other hand. So Satan can win by making you believe he's not present or that he's present everywhere and more than that has the upper hand. So to, to kind of draw this second idea out that like Satan has real power, but not ultimate power. And we, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't actually have to be afraid of him. I want to show an old clip from, well, an old guy named John Wimber. And if you've been in the vineyard long, you know who this is. And I should warn you, uh, I mean, it's the 80s. So just be prepared for haircuts and, and pants. And uh, this is an old VHS tape that this was drawn from. So that, I mean, if you, it's several hours on uh, spiritual warfare that you could watch. If you want to, if you're interested, ask me, I can get you a access to the video, but, you know, it's, it's VHS, so, like, it's, it's not 1080p. Sound is a little goofy, but uh, it's, it's like four minutes, so let's watch this video from John. The ministry of Jesus is to be perpetuated, it's to be perpetuated by a people like you and me, Christians, those that have come to follow Jesus and become his disciples. And so, it's important to understand that as Christians, a decisive battle has been won by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, won the decisive battle against Satan and his kingdom. In his life, Jesus bound Satan. Satan could uh, gain no hold on Jesus. In Mark, the third chapter, verses 23 through 27, the text says, So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? Remember, he'd been accused of uh, that his source of power was diabolic, that it was... Uh, uh, from Lucifer as over uh, uh, and Beelzebub as over against from uh, uh, the, uh, his father, God. And he says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. So Jesus, in defending himself against the pharisaical accusation, has declared an important truth. And this, this underlying truth is that, that he's not come uh, representing and or authorized by Beelzebub, but he's come uh, under the hand of the Father. And in so doing, he's entered the strong man's household. Now, what he's referring to here is that, that Satan, as a result of robbing the, the authority of dominion from Adam, and taking it himself, has had dominion over the people of God's heart, the, uh, Israel. 
And that as a result of that, Jesus has come to take back that dominion. And he does it by breaking the power of Satan. And the primary way he does that is through his life, death, and resurrection. The secondary way that he does that is he exposes Satan for what a wimp he is by demonstrating his limitations, his lack of power, and that his whole uh, premise, his whole operative premise is, is uh, one of deceit. You see, Satan can only work as long as he can continue to deceive us and uh, to loom large, as it were, in our lives uh, by his supposed uh, power and authority. But once you see Satan in the light of the gospel, once you see Satan in the light of Jesus' declaration, you find you see him in his in his limitations, in his weakness, and so Jesus has come and exposed him, and he's done it uh, through his work here on earth. In his ministry, Jesus began to plunder Satan's kingdom, and we have uh, been given the opportunity and the privilege to continue that continue that plundering activity. Jesus has come and bound the strong man. He's done it by exposing him. He's done it by living the life he's lived. Uh, but he now has given you and me the responsibility of going into that uh, strong man's household and taking back his victims, uh, people, places, and things that he has taken control over. And so uh, we have a, a job to do. We have a, a commission to respond to, a commandment that Jesus has given us. And that uh, job is to go and to take back those that are under demonic control, to take back those people, places, and things. And so when you travel around in America and you see uh, places that are they're given over to uh, ludity and uh, lasciviousness and to promiscuity and to uh, drug abuse and to the, the multiple and myriad things that we see, particularly in urban America, we know that, that we have job security, that we, we still have a job to do, that the, the church hasn't finished its job. So you hear John Wimber there talking a little bit about the victory that Jesus has and relative to the power of God, like Satan has been defeated. And if you have like invited Jesus into your life, you actually have uh, the ability and the resources because of God's spirit to resist anything that Satan might do. And more than that, uh, not just in your own life, but to like defeat Satan's influence where you see it in people who are like oppressed by the demonic. And so if you, if you were to keep watching this video, you'd hear him say over and over and over again, he's, I'm not saying every time that there's addiction, that there's a demon involved, but, but there might be. And I'm not saying every time that sin is involved, that there's a demon there. There might be, I'm not saying every time, but I think most of us, probably fall into the ditch of, I, I don't really believe in Satan or I don't like live as if Satan's really out there rather than the ditch of like, ooh, Satan, Satan's everywhere. So uh, if, if I accomplish anything today and I, I needed this myself, I want to remind you that there is actually a spiritual battle. So even though Jesus is actually someone who preaches peace uh, he also talks about a battle and a war against the enemy. And you've heard me say this before. People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And so don't confuse your neighbor, your political rival, your, uh, your boss or anybody else with the enemy. Like, I'm not saying that Satan isn't at work in the world or potentially in their lives. He might be, but uh, the thing you can do is love 
those enemies that are people <laughs> and pray for them. So, um, I, as I said, I want to I want to kind of do a a reminder that Satan is out there, that Satan is real. I want to start by showing you a few of the words that the Bible uses in describing or naming Satan and who he is. And so I'll just put those up on the screen. Of course, there's the devil, uh, but the accuser, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon or the ancient serpent, and the prince of this world. And Jesus actually uses that prince of this world language several times. So the idea that Satan has stolen authority and has some power is true, but not that he has ultimate power. And so I really, I hope you guys read this. Uh, he, he goes into a lot more depth than I can, but I want to just share four of his ideas or teachings about the devil, what he can do and what he can't do. The first thing that I want to remind you of, if you've read it already or, or point you toward if you will read it, is that the devil is a creature and not God's equal. And I think even as I thought about the devil, I assumed that he was omniscient and omnipresent. In other words, I thought the devil knew everything and uh, like was everywhere, but he's not. <laughs> Those are things that describe God. And so as a creature, like he was actually at one time beautiful and good, and through his pride and through his envy, he, he became, like as we are presented to him today, like twisted and evil and a liar. And so don't forget who actually sits on the throne of the universe. While, while he's called the prince of this world, God sits on the throne and Jesus is king. Uh, the second thing is that he's been defeated by Jesus, so don't forget that, like uh, the, the power that he has is limited and it's ending. And I'm sure he's really mad about that, but ultimately we have, we have resources. Like we have actually the name of Jesus that is more powerful than any thing that Satan or the devil can do. The third thing is that he is the animating force behind many of the atro atrocities of history. And I think one of his best schemes, as you, as you look at what, what were the really horrible things that have happened in history, like, uh, well, you can think of the Holocaust, you can think of most wars, you can think of slavery and racism and, and the pornography industry. Like, his best tactic sometimes is to get you to believe smart, intelligent, thoughtful people come to a place believing that someone is less than human. Uh, an object of God's love uh, is called by smart people, yeah, not, not quite human. And that's when a lot of the real evil in the history of the world has been done. Uh, so I'm not, it's hard to necessarily draw the lines on how Satan works in all these places, but he certainly, he's giving some power to some of the great atrocities of history. Number four he can cause us personal harm. Uh, I would say uh, at Christians as well, and you, you find this in some of the warnings from the New Testament letters, like yeah, we have to stay alert because even though Satan can't defeat us, Satan can't steal us, like 
if we're protected by Jesus, we don't have to worry about our eternal destiny. He can still uh, make us miserable and, and cause spiritual, emotional, mental, or physical harm. You guys tracking with me? We're covering a lot of stuff. Again, I just, I want to kind of raise the awareness level that we have an enemy that he prowls around like a lion. He's dangerous because he's sneaky and he, he hides his lies in the truth. Uh, but the, the other thing that makes him dangerous is his mouth. And it is lies and deceit and twisting of the truth that comes out of his mouth. And I want to I talk a little bit more about the li- kind of lies that Satan tells here. And uh, the first thing that Satan does is he tries to twist God's words. And we see this uh, at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3. He says, did God really tell you that? And I hear this actually coming up a lot of times in arguments from Christians. Well, did God really say that? They'll look at like some pretty clear teaching from the Bible and they'll, they'll make the argument, I don't know if God really is saying that. Or, you know, a loving God would never blank. Of course, the definition of love is being taken from the world or from a secular culture and then being applied to what God will or won't do. And so pay attention to the way that God wants to twist the words of Scripture. Now, of course, one of the ways that Satan can win is if you just don't know Scripture. Like if, if, you're, if you haven't read your Bible this past week, Satan had a little victory. Uh, one of the things we see as Jesus defends uh, himself against Satan's temptations is he knows Scripture and he speaks Scripture. And so in this book, John Mark Comer makes a recommendation. He says, pay attention to what you're feeling. Pay attention to some of the, uh, the lies that you notice that get played into your head and find specific scripture passages that you, you know, write down and memorize so that you can recall those passages when, uh, when those lies come at you, when Satan begins to accuse you or, number two, to challenge your identity so one of the, the other second thing that I think Satan does in his deceit is he casts doubt on your identity as a beloved child of God. And you find this uh, in the temptation of Jesus. It's recorded, I think, in detail in Mark or in Matthew and Luke and more briefly in Mark. But here, Jesus for, or Satan's first words to Jesus are, if you really are the Son of God... Then, and this is right after Jesus' baptism, and I don't know if you remember, there's a voice from heaven and a dove descends and God says, you are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. And Satan's first trick is to cast doubt on that truth, on that, like, that thing that cannot be shaken, that you are loved by God. And so stand in that truth Trust in his grace and in his power. The third thing I think is a little bit, it's related to uh, that second one, but the third thing is that Satan stands as our accuser. 
And so one of the things that you'll notice is that, you know, sometimes Satan will challenge your, like, eternal destiny or your salvation. I think, especially with new Christians, people who have just given their life to Jesus, this is like one of their first, his first tricks. Like, well, you really screwed up since you invited Jesus into your life. So, I mean, I'm going to take you to hell with me when you die. I remember when I was just following Jesus, I, I kept inviting Jesus back into my heart because I was worried that he had left. But uh, maybe some of you have had that too. But, but even if you can have found a way to rest in God's like grace, uh, he'll still like tempt you into sin, trap you in a sin, and then accuse you of that sin, like as if that's who you are. So for instance, if, uh, if you tell a lie, or if you look at porn, or if you, you like get super angry and rage and yell at your kids, he'll say, yeah, see, look, you're a liar. You're a, you're an angry person. You're, you're a pervert and you're always going to be. That's how accusation works. You did this bad thing, but you are actually this bad thing and you're always going to be this bad thing. This is very different from how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, which is actually you're being drawn when the Holy Spirit convicts to repent and turn back to Jesus and to be reminded and embraced by him, to be reminded that Jesus died for those sins and looks on you as someone that he loves. See how that's different? The accusation of Satan says you're unlovable. You're a worthless piece of crap. And God says, I love you so much. Please come back to me. That's the difference between Satan's accusation and the Holy Spirit's conviction. So let's recap here with the short passage, a short passage here from uh, John Mark Comer's book. So here's a working theory of the devil's strategy. Deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. That's pretty dense. Let me read it again and I'll... I'll, I'll keep going. The working theory of the devil's strategy is deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Specifically, he lies to us about who God is, who we are, and what the good life is with an aim to undermine our trust in God's love and wisdom. His intent is to get us to seize autonomy from God and redefine good and evil for ourselves, thereby leading to the ruin of our souls and society. Again, that takes a little bit of time to maybe sink in. Um, and, and so I'm just trying to remind you that he's out there trying to trap us. He's prowling around like a lion. So pay attention here to the encouragement and how to stand up to the devil's prowling. Stay alert, 1 Peter verse 8. Be aware. That's what we've been talking about. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. 
He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone devour, to devour. Verse 9, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So I think, I think standing firm in the truth is a good way to put that. Uh, but then faith and trust are really synonymous. Trust in, let's, let's keep going. Uh, let's actually verse down to, jump down to verse 10. Trust in this, in the kindness of God or in the God of all grace. Trust in his grace. For in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Trust in his grace, and verse 11, all power to him forever. So trust in his grace and trust in his power. And so I want to invite you to stand with me for a minute. And we're going to do something we don't do often at the vineyard. Maybe some of you were raised in churches where we would do, like, where they do like a responsive reading. Um, but we're actually going to take a minute, because, trusting in like the power of God and of, in the name of Jesus, and we are going to renounce the devil. And so if we put up the slide. I'm the leader, and you're all. So say with me, I renounce you, Satan, all of your servants and all of your works. In the name of Jesus, every evil spirit depart from you. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Lord God, you have made us worthy by cleansing us of our sins. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Grant to us your grace that we might serve you according to your will. Glory be to God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So that was based on a liturgy from the third century. And you'll notice that it is not only a renunciation of the devil and his servants and his schemes, but also an embrace of truth. So that's, that's a key component of this, that we stand in the truth. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up here. We're going to invite again the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to turn our hearts to Jesus and we're going to worship. So come Holy Spirit.
God, we know that you are like everywhere and all powerful and you sit on the throne. And we believe like as the Bible says that your spirit can come and rest on us and that your power can actually be like concentrated like it was on Pentecost on the people who were there waiting for you to show up. So Jesus, today I ask that you would bring your kingdom in our lives. Send your spirit. Shine your light. Cast out darkness and dispel all the lies. Pour your truth into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.